the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I know that there's options out there. You could help me by telling friends and family, though, about the show. By letting them know that you can sign up at Apple under iTunes at Rob Black and Your Money. It's Rob Black and Your Money. Um, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Talk about getting into retirement. We can talk about um, other issues that are out there. We're saving to retire in our 40s. Uh, that's always been kind of a goal of mine. Maybe that's realistic. Maybe it's not, but it's a good goal. Um, and I think that's kind of important to have something along those, you know, uh, lines, so to speak. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. The irony of having a strong financial life is that you don't really want it at times. You want what a strong financial life represents. So if your only goal is to become rich, you'll never achieve it. So says John Rockefeller. So the ability to fail and try again someday. That's kind of what wealth gives you more time to be spent in personal, meaningful ways. That's kind of what wealth should give you stronger choices for loved ones like schools, neighborhoods and vacations. That's what wealth should give you the chance to continue to develop yourself through travel and education and painting and reading. That's what wealth should give you. Wealth is a weird, weird thing like happiness and success. It can't be pursued directly. A lot of people try, but they're never, ever satisfied. Once they make the money that they they uh, used to think would make them happy, they try to find something else. They find that something's missing. Um, oftentimes, it's just more money. And for me, I kind of fall into the world of, you know, I'm not going to say the millennial experience is everything because that's not quite right. But for me, it's, very much so uh i i don't need a fancy car i don't need a fancy wife i don't need fancy dinners they're lovely all of those things but i've got a good reliable truck because i do things that make me happy in the truck um haul around soccer equipment haul around yard stuff um, and that makes me happy so things that you want aren't crafted out of thin air they're observations of of you know, how things work, in my opinion. So money is worthless by itself. I think that's a fair statement. It's only valuable if it can be, get you something that else that you want. It's never an end goal. It's meant to touch many, many, many hands. So I have a friend who, she came out of a car accident, um, having lost a loved one. But she also came out with a lot of shares of Apple. And she has the ability to do whatever she wants financially. But she's been very, very conservative because 
her heart was healing. And at some point in time, she has money to travel. She has money to do what she wants. So you don't want to hoard it, but you want to have the right mind frame when it comes time for it. You want to use your money to connect with others more strongly than you could without. Money's like love. It kills slowly and painfully the ones who, you know, who withhold it. It enlivens those who turn it on to their fellow man. So smart money is slow. I agree with that. The best money managers in the world think slow before an action because the better money decisions require you to take pauses. You know, I believe otherwise, if you watch movies like Wall Street, greed is good. But you're seeing speculation. So uh, Warren Buffett once said, our favorite holding period is forever. And I think if you were to use another Warren Buffett thought where you have only 20 investment decisions in your life, use them wisely, um, you would slow down before you bought something. So I was asked a question recently of who would you give $20 billion to, General Motors or Elon Musk? And you have to stop and think that one through because General Motors aims for a 20% return on capital. That's a pretty good return. It's way better than you're going to get in a bank. But Elon Musk has got a lot of great ideas. No one has ever given Elon Musk money and made money. He hasn't made money at his companies yet. Um, but General Motors pays out a dividend of about $2 billion a year to shareholders. So you always have to stop and ask yourself, what's this question even mean? I like slow money. So I own shares at Disney because it's a dominant franchise. Um, that chick, Cinderella, she has not worked in a very long time. Um, and Disney owns her. And they're like, hey, let's let's go release the, the, the dungeon and bring Cinderella back out. Do you remember what Cinderella, remember what Disney used to do? And this was just evil. Um, back when we had VHS tapes, you'd hear commercials like, now for a limited time, for 20 weeks only, we're opening our vault and we're bringing out a digitally remastered Cinderella on VHS and DVD and Blu-ray and Laserdisc. And uh, you could have Cinderella. Like that chick, she she hasn't worked in 50 years, 60 years. So and now there's a Tinderella out there. Um, there's actually a Cinderella ballet. And somehow I bet Disney's making this money on that. So making money <clears throat> is boring, in my opinion. Um, we see the drama in it, but it should be more boring. You should have a good portfolio that does well in a down market and does good in an up market. I don't want you to hit a home run, but I also don't want you to strike out. A good portfolio has different components to it, like a d good baseball team. You need a strong first baseman. You need a strong second baseman. You need a short, quick, wily little guy who could play shortstop. Possibly you can give up a little bit of fielding for a better hitting third baseman. You need strong pitching. You need a catcher who's general. And that's like that's why you need companies like Disney. You know, They play a certain role. They're not going to get you in a lot of trouble. And maybe you want a company like a Chevron or an Exxon who is tied towards energy and, and you know, it's for the foreseeable future, we're going to consume a lot of energy, although less so in cars than before. So you save money bit by bit. You invest it. You receive dividends or income. You reinvest the proceeds. You compound your earnings year after year. It's not a lot of drama. 
sometimes for me, I've learned that money means saying no. Um, I've got a lot of friends who want to go to the Warriors game, the Giants game, the Sharks game, and saying no to almost every opportunity to part with your money is a key to financial success. Most of us waste our money. Um, Learn to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Take a break. Be right back. This is Rob Black and your money. You can find me at Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. When I jumped out of college roughly 15, 20 years ago or whatever it was, 15, 20 years ago, I'm guessing, yeah, uh, 20 years ago, uh, one of the things I noticed instantly, it taught me a lot about learning how to talk about stocks and seeing stocks and understanding what I'm seeing. You would, I went to Europe and I quickly learned, and I'd been to Europe before because I grew up uh, traveling. Uh, I lived in 15 places before I was 18 years old. So I wasn't like a, a nomad. I wasn't like a gypsy or anything like that, but it certainly felt like that. My father was in the military and it's always interesting. They would say, time to move, and you'd pack up your stuff and move. And it was two weeks before Thanksgiving. It was two weeks before after Christmas. It was like, you never know. So you kind of always lived in this fear of where am I going next? But anyway, when I went to Europe or when I spent time in Europe um, as an adult, not as a kid, I noticed like the supermarkets are incredibly small. And if you find an electronic store, it's incredibly small. And it tells you that there's going to be a problem in the United States is that we have a massive retail build out in the years past. And I've gone up and down store aisles and I'm looking to make like, let's say a spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm looking for, let's say 12 total ingredients for the salad and everything else. And you just go through the store and you go through the store and you go through the store and, you know, a massive build out in number of stores out there, but also the size of them. And I, I, for a while there, Americans loved our McMansions, make the house bigger, make the house bigger, make the house bigger. Now, maybe not necessarily where you live. Maybe there's some zoning issues, some development issues. Maybe you were already past that point of vanity. But same thing happened to our stores where we were make our stores bigger, make our stores bigger. And you can go into a Best Buy, and this is one of the problems that I have with Best Buy. It's a football store. It's a football field. It's two football fields. Um, Some people go in and let their kids go. And the kids start running around, and they're like, and they're off. And it's a way of letting their kids get some of their energy out. But it does also tell you that that's not what Best Buy was intending. Best Buy was intending to stock the shelves, and grocery stores were intended to stock the shelves with stuff that they bought. It's their inventory. It goes on the shelves, and they want you to come in and buy it for more than they paid and take their inventory away, and then they're going to be able to go out and take your cash and your profits, hire some people, come up with better computer systems, figure out what inventory they need or don't need, and pick it on up. A massive build-out in the United States by retailers has left the country, ultimately, with you know shelving um, a crazy amount of shelvings as consumers are shifting away from big weekly shopping trips to more snacking and going type of meals. I told you many years ago, I dated a younger woman who, when I visited her apartment, she had nothing in it. And she wanted even less. So she'd had a previous boyfriend who had like uh, Xbox and all the cables were going to the TV and the, the cable TV. And she's like, I hate cables. 
she wanted less cables. And in her refrigerator, there was nothing but alcohol. She wanted fresh food, food on the go. And we're even at the point where we're looking at like things like Blue Apron and Amazon Prime where we're like, wait, I don't want 50 spices in my spice rack. They're just going to go stale. So commercial square footage of retail space per capita last year set a record. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of droning on about this, but we need to, as a group, start thinking what you're investing in. Walmart, big store, right? Amazon, big warehouses. And when Amazon gets more and more into physical stores like... Uh, buying food companies like Whole Foods, it's going to create some issues. Uh, because with those stores, they have to pay leases, they have to pay landlords. It's a little bit different. Now again, they do the same thing with uh, warehouses. You know, Very rarely do you own the warehouse, but you know, it's worth noting that the building boom, the amount of retail space selling groceries per capita in the United States hit a record as supermarkets expanded while club retailers like BJ's and uh, Costco um, and companies like dollar stores have also increased their food offerings. Everyone wants to sell food. Uh, if you go to Home Depot to pick up paint, uh, there's a pretty good food court there. And Costco is the same way, a pretty good food court. Not only does Costco have food there, but in the store and outside the store. Um, it's a way of trying to get you to lift your feet and drag them to their store. Everybody's getting the groceries. Because you and me, we need everyday food. Shopper loyalty to conventional chains, uh, not so much these days. Same store sales for food retailers um, were up about 3% annually since 2013. That metric was flat in 2016. So I remember one time in my life being part of that Safeway club. And to make a long story short, I don't know if this is fair, um, I don't go to Safeway as often as I used to. A lot of the things that I used to get at Safeway, I'm, I'm now getting at Amazon. So there's only so much food we can buy, and there's only so many stores that we want to go to. And, uh, you know, I need a vitamin or something along those lines. And for the record, I think vitamins are horrible, horrible wastes of money for most people. But I do get that some people believe in them. But... It's all about Amazon for me. So I think we've hit the critical moment in the last two, three years, and you know, even more so now because we're starting to think about it, where traditional supermarkets haven't realized uh, what they can't do, and they, they've started to realize what they can do. You can't just keep stores open all day long to solve problems. Like, Do you remember uh, in the last 10 years how crazy Black Friday got, and then you know, um, Black Friday started... Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, but then they started. Let's open up Thanksgiving from at six p.m. after people are done with their meals, and like let's open up at three p.m. Let's open up at noon. Let's do a sale the day before. Let's do a sale the you know let's do twenty four hours after Thanksgiving. And like whoa, that would solve some problems. It would move some inventory. It's all about moving the inventory. Um, so grocers have started to retrench now, and they started to figure out ways to, you know to fulfill the broader retail market. They're reducing the square footage of brick-and-mortar stores as e-commerce you know, draws away the customers to online shopping. Uh, there used to be a very big feel that you know Americans have to touch it before they buy it, and I just don't think that's the case anymore. Kroger, the nation's largest traditional supermarket chain, is reducing its new store openings this year from 100 to 55, a nearly billion-dollar drop in capital expenditures. Walmart plans to open 55 super centers and smaller format centers 
uh, stores. That's the right way of saying that. 2018. That's down from 132. It opened in the 12-month period ending in January. So a year ago, 132. This year, 55. So, you know, there's a lot to go on there. And it's telling you that as an investor, we don't need that much space. And as an investor, maybe that much space, a supermarket that's not just a market, it's super. Uh, maybe a Best Buy that's not just an electronic store, it's a superstore. We maybe don't need that much space because that space is expensive. It's If you're looking at a house and it's 2,000 square feet and you kind of figure out it's $700, $800 a square foot, how about you get a 1,600 square foot house and you can save a lot of money, right? Same thing with retail. Brick and mortar supermarket locations are competing for consumers who shop online and that competition is heated up. Now, what's interesting is Amazon's going the reverse direction. Let's see how they pull it off. Find me online at Rob Black Show, talking stocks with you. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I talk stocks. Mondays and Thursdays from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Stock talk. Then I talk general market, economy, big stories of the day, stock sectors, investing, financial planning, Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um... I dig you. I dig talking money. I dig talking investing. Um, anytime you have a question, don't be afraid to ask. And keep in mind, I do events. And I always have an event coming up. And you can find out more about the events coming up by going to Rob Black Show. It's robblackshow.com. And when you're there, you can check out what's coming up. And uh, if you like what you see and where it is, typically we throw down a $25 fee to get in. But we serve wine and cheese or lunch, whatever the event is, whenever it is. Uh, and you can get in for free using the code RADIO25. That's RADIO25. Um, it's no secret that as interest rates rise, financial stocks tend to be correlated to that. And a lot of people tend to go, hey, they can make more money. And as interest rates rise, it's typically the thought that the economy is doing better. So there's some sometimes assumptions, right? There's different types of banks. Bank of America, what would you think? Consumer Bank, United States, consumer loans, mortgages, car loans. Um, Citigroup, what would you think? Probably more international version of that domestic Bank of America. Wells Fargo, you see probably has a lot of mortgages. Not as dominant in banking. Uh, but they're not bad in banking. But different financials create different situations. After years of restructuring and repositioning, and downsizing and right-sizing and different CEOs, Citigroup recently laid out some ambitious financial plans that tell me and show me that we should consider potentially adding it to the portfolio if you haven't. Ticker symbol is C. Now, when you talk about Citigroup, you talk about, again, companies that lend money. And there's a lot of leverage in that in the United States. And we saw in 2006, 7, and 8 that when you lend a lot of money to people buying houses and then you repackage that loan in mortgages and you sell it to investors, I'm not going to use the word house of cards, but it can get tricky fast. One of the largest financial services known to man, Citigroup, 
has some 200 million customer accounts and serves clients around the globe. It offers deposits and loans, investment banking, brokerage, wealth management, other financial services. You may not like that it's around the globe. You may go, I, I don't like what's going on in Europe. I like what's going on in the, the U.S. Or you may say the other way around. I don't like what's going on in the U.S. I like what's going on in the world. Few banks in the world can hit Citigroup's reach. Citibank owns a stake in several international regional banks as well. Um, so they've got more than 130 million city branded credit cards. They were hit hard in the 2008 financial crisis. Citi has been refocusing on its original mission, which was traditional banking. It's got some $1.7 trillion in assets and some $930 billion in deposits. You generally would compare them to a JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, an HSBC Holdings, um, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo. So you kind of get to know all the, all the players. And then what I like to do as a stock picker, as an investor, is write down all the names, all the ticker symbols, uh, what the year-to-date change is, how's it doing compared to its peers. Um, you know, For instance, if Citigroup's the leader, maybe a lot of money already knows that they're in a good position to expand. Then you take a look at their earnings per share for 2017, take a look at the estimates for 2018, you take a look at the PE based on 2017 earnings, you take a look at potential 2018, you take a look at price to tangible book, you take a look at the dividend yield so that you can get paid while it maybe underperforms or get paid less while it outperforms as a stock. Um, so Citigroup, ticker symbol C, is approaching its highest level since the financial crisis. That's when the troubled bank rose uh, had to raise capital and dilute its shares. Uh, there could be more upside down because Citi offers a combination of low valuation and what could be the highest earnings growth rate amongst its peers. Um, their earnings growth for 2020 from now through 2020 basically assumes a 20% compounded annual growth rate. And that suggests that it could hit about $100 per share, which is 48% above its current level. That's not bad. Now, there was some recent stress tests in the United States, and who knows, are we going to do these forever, or are we going to make them once every two years versus every year, uh, maybe every three years? Those rules are changing pretty constantly. Um, and Citigroup came out of their stress test with the Federal Reserve, and basically the Federal Reserve said, you can double your dividend. Citi also was going to purchase more shares. Because they basically got the blessing, um, and his name is Luminous, from the Federal Reserve that they, with all the cash they've set aside, they could start using some of it, and that the emergency's over. 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 Danger, all Roberts, and danger. So, Citigroup right now has clearance to return about $19 billion in capital to shareholders in the next 12 months, and it's hoping to return $20 billion plus in each of the following two years. They've got some lofty financial goals and a huge global footprint. Citigroup it looks expense, inexpensive to me. It's a little work for us for taking action on these stocks mentioned on the show. Um, investors want to see if Citi can generate consistent growth in revenue and operating profit. There's no street consensus expectations for 2020. But the 2019 projection is you know, about $7 a share. Um, and that's kind of in line with what Citigroup is saying. They've done a lot of repositioning. They've told investors that the repositioning is done. They think they're poised to deliver attractive and sustainable returns. So there's unparalleled global presence right now. Um, they're big. They're diversified. They're worldwide. 
So one analyst recently said, you know, uh, Citigroup will need 10% compounded annual growth and annual revenue. Um, it's a U.S. retail bank that's a leader, but it's also a, a leading Mexican bank. And Citi is assuming a robust global economy and benign credit cost because of the low cost of money out there at this point in time. So if Citi is able to grow their earnings at 20% a clip, that would lift the shares over 50%. Now, just to show you how diversified they are, they get about half their revenue outside the United States. It's the highest percentage in its group. Um, so again, you may not like what is happening in the U.S. economy. Maybe you're nervous about the Trump presidency and the fact that Congress isn't really playing along with his agenda. Maybe you see that as gridlock, and that's a good thing. I don't know. I'm not you. Leveraging off its worldwide presence, Citigroup operates the largest proprietary uh, global payment system. It's also the number one global credit card issuer. So you're dealing with a lot of issues there. I do not believe... I believe that banks are usually fairly conservative. But that's not always true. You see long stretches of time where uh, sometimes the bank themselves are taking on too much risk. Sometimes the banks like Wells Fargo are breaking the law to show better growth than is actually happening. Sometimes banks do stuff uh, that they don't want to do. Federal government says something along the lines of, uh, I'm the great senator of Utah, and uh, I I want... You know, all my citizens to have houses. It's American dream. I grew up with the American dream. My father's father grew up with American dreams. My father's father grew up with American dream. And I want all financial institutions to lend money to people. Financial institutions like uh, congressmen? That's not a good idea. Not everyone deserves a loan. You know, sometimes people have only worked for a month or two. Sometimes they have no assets that we can seize if they fail. Congressman goes, you will do it or I'll take away your banking shot. <laughs> we don't have to play the music. Vote Rob Black. Uh, mayor of your city. Just write in my name. So I'm not going to say which city. I'm just going to say let's do it randomly and maybe I get elected. So uh, so there is some risk. I mean, when you're talking global uh, payment systems, when you're talking global credit cards, when you're talking global banking, you're talking global mortgages, um, it's tricky. So you're basically betting on global capitalism at that point in time on some levels. Now, how do you look at the risk of that? You go, well, you go, well, America's taking on a lot of debt, and this is a company that issues debt, and at some point in time, debt needs to be pay- repaid, right? So anyway, according to Rob Black, I think Citigroup should be put on your watch list for the next five years if there's a pullback, if there's a buying opportunity. Uh, some analysts are, are looking at about a $100 share price on Citigroup, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you're a long-term patient investor, the buybacks plus the increased dividends are attractive to investors. Is it uh, the end-all, be-all? No, 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 no. But it's something to consider. Twitter, tweet, 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 sees no relief in sight. Uh, Do you remember when Twitter's IPO hit $70 a share and then they fall... To 60, 50, 40, 30, 25, 20. Do I hear 15? And Twitter's just in a problem at this point in time. It's a great brand. No, it's a brand, right? And the spotlight has been turned on to them of, okay, your stock has fallen. You're a great brand, or everyone knows you. A lot of people do. Now let's see some revenue growth. 
if you compare Twitter to Facebook on price per sales, price per earnings, uh, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, Facebook is cheaper than Twitter. So, which one do you want to do? The one that stock is working and rewarding, or the one who's kind of broken? Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Did you know the cost of retirement's going up every year? And I'm not talking about just inflation, unless we're talking about age inflation. I'm not talking about, did he say wage inflation? No. I'm talking about age inflation. We're living longer. I recently went to a doctor and he looked at my blood work and he goes, Mr. Black, if you don't change something, you're going to be dead in 10 years. I'm like, what? I may be making this up. This may be fictional. But I said, what can I do to fix it? He says, here, take this, take this, take that. My mother is on 15 pills a day. Now you start thinking about someone who's 80 plus years old being able to, have you ever seen an 80 year old's hand? They shake. They've got very thin skin. It's not a pretty picture. It kind of looks like, mm, I'm going to say like a uh, chicken, like a dead chicken hand. It's, 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 it's like a claw. You look like a succulent baby lamb. It looks like a succulent baby lamb's hand. That's correct. And um, trying to f- keep track of 15 pills. My mom should have been dead long ago. That's a secret between you and me. But she's taking pills to thin her blood. She's taking pills to, you know, uh, to just basically prolong her life. She's had surgery on her neck because of a, a blockage which caused a, a stroke. Strokes used to be something that, like, took people down. Heart attacks used to be something that took people down. So now we're keeping people alive longer. So her nest egg was probably biologically meant to last 74 years. But she's 80-plus now. I fear what's going to happen to me, that they'll be able to keep this just shell of a person alive. And again, I I, I say that, I'm not going to say it in a funny way. I'm going to say it in an honest way. So if you're a human being, every year we're getting more age inflation. We're living longer. That's going to turn at some point in time. But we're eating better. We're eating healthier. We're now starting to have doctors look at my blood panel and go, Mr. Black, your liver is a problem. So you're either drinking too much or you're eating too much sugar. I'm like, too much sugar? It's like sugar is just as bad as alcohol. Your liver doesn't understand it. It's poison. It's toxin. That's why you have all these fat little Oompa Loompa kids who have diabetes, which used to not be a problem until the 1950s when there was a sugar industry created in the United States because we started figuring out sugar was a problem. So let's create an industry. It's like there's tobacco. Oh, it creates a problem. So let's create an industry. Let's create lobbyists so that we could like, Suddenly tell, you know, all, uh, politicians, Congress, like, oh, I'm going to give you a million dollars to fund a study that's, you know, cigarettes are relaxing. That's my Texas, Texan fresh. Oh, oh, well, there, Mr. Senator, here's a hundred thousand dollars of oil money so that you can go buy some marble lights. Uh, we even saw the marble man. Anyway, um, I'm totally digressing, but we're living longer because some of the sins in our society we kind of given into like corn syrup. Corn syrup's the nastiest thing on the planet. Um, 
Okay, it's not the nastiest thing on the planet. Wait, wait, is this studio named after Caro the Corn Syrup Company? You're listening to Rob Black and your money live from the Caro Syrup Studios. Um, I love I love corn syrup. Corn syrup's the best thing to start your day with. One teaspoon of corn syrup and one teaspoon. Oh, I saw that. I was, I was eating a uh, sushi the other day. I know you're saying, you eat raw fish? No, I just, it's, it's part of the story. Just go with it. And um, so there's a coffee cup. I do eat flipper. I love flipper. So if you could put the whole dolphin in front of me with the head, it's even better. It's like eating sushi until you see the, the, the head of the fish. You're like, oh, good God. I don't need to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I'm at this sushi place, and they have a coffee cup that says, um, to be happy, um, you know, express yourself, to be happy. And one of them was drink, um, drink, drink more vinegar. I'm like, really? I didn't know that. Um, very well-known fact. Just drink more vinegar. And vinegar's nasty. So, but... Um, did I just hear Love Boat? Love. There we go. Exciting. So I'm on a boat. Exciting. On a sushi restaurant. We catch Flipper. Flipper jumps on board. We're and we have sushi with a poipus. Okay, so if you're not investing your money, because we're going to live longer because we're drinking apple cider vinegar, and someone in sushi restaurants told us that's a good thing to do. If you're not investing your money because you're no stock picking genius and if you don't earn a six-figure paycheck, guess what? Neither of those things matter and you're going to die poor. So if you're human, you're a good candidate to be investing your money and you should be putting 10, 15, 20% of your income into some sort of retirement savings, some sort of nest egg because you're going to live maybe to 80, 85 and you're not going to have a job after 60 and at age 80, 85, you're going to be like my mom taking 15 pills a day where your hand shakes so violently the pills drop on the ground and therefore she gets put in a nursing home. Because when your hands shake so violently, the pills drop on the ground and you can't find them, you end up falling out of your bed, sitting in your own feces for a few days and mentally uh, uh, occluded and, and you're not able to function. So we're living longer, putting money in your bank's traditional savings account, maybe your go-to savings strategy. It's the, one of the worst ones ever. If you take a look at the history of the stock market in the last 80 years, the market goes up seven out of 10 years. It does it in World War One. It does it in World War Two. I saw Hacksaw Ridge the other day. I'm like, stock market goes up in these times? Yep. In Korean conflicts, in Iraq conflicts, in Vietnam conflicts. If you've built up an emergency fund with three to six months worth of expenses, you can now store some of your money in the S&P 500, the Wilshire 5000, in a uh, MCSI global index. You can do a lot of great ideas with your money, but you're going to live longer. You can even use a target retirement fund. Um, but you're going to live longer. So there's going to be age inflation. you got to make your money last longer. You have to have more money. I know I'm not about money and capitalism. I'm just about quality of life. I'm Rob Black. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.